So all of our preaching is related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, this accomplishment takes center stage. We speak of the implications every time we're together. Yesterday, I built a gazebo on my back deck with the help of Pastor Jeff and Pastor Bill, my son Andrew, my wife Amy, following step-by-step instructions for hours on end. At the four-fifths mark, for those of you mathematicians, that equals 80%. 80% done, feeling good, getting some of the pieces out to, to put up, and two items were missing. Six hours into the project. So I drove down the street to find a suitable replacement. And I did, in fact, find a suitable replacement uh, to go in their place. Um, So yesterday I finished 99% of that gazebo. So a little finished work left, a couple little details left. 99%. 99% done is not done. What we want to talk about this morning is the completeness of Jesus' work. What He has accomplished. There is no detail work or anything left for another time. He has accomplished it. You may be familiar with the video clip of DJ Ward I'll just share a little segment of him preaching. I have it with the background music. It's really nice. Um, But just a little clip. He says, I contend this morning that the death of Christ was not an attempt. It was an accomplishment. When one accomplishes something, he has to have an assignment. And what was the assignment? His name shall be called Jesus. For He shall save. Not attempt to save. Not try to save. Not hope to save. Not want to save. But He shall save His people from their sin. This is the truth, friends. The question that we have to answer is, how do we know that He accomplished this? And what is before us this morning is the answer to that question. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that proves the completed, satisfying, saving work of Jesus Christ. It's that up from the grave He arose. It is that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This is what proves to us that Jesus has accomplished the task of saving His people from their sin. We're in Luke chapter 24 and one of the four Gospel accounts of the resurrection. We'll take a look at 
uh, verses 1 through 12 to begin this morning. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the tomb rolled away from the tomb. Excuse me, the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. You see this passage, it's filled with all manner of goodness. You have Jesus, formerly in a tomb, women going to care for Him and His departure. He's not there. And the declaration, why have you come to the place of death to find a living Savior? Why have you come to a place where there's no life to see that One who is possesses and provides life. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. Don't you remember? Don't you remember how He told you He had to be delivered up? He had to be crucified. He had to be buried. And He had to rise. This was the assignment. And it's done. They leave in awe. They leave mesmerized. They leave with a message. They go. They find the others. Hey, I've got to tell you about this. Listen to what happened. This is incredible. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. Something's up. We were there when they took his body down. We know he's in a, a tomb. Doesn't it doesn't make sense? But Peter says, I'm gonna go see for myself, and runs. Looks in. We know in another account, John's there as well. John was a little faster. Peter pushes him out of the way. I gotta see this for myself. He's gone. You know, the, what's amazing, these disciples, 
record their own doubts. They're recorded forever. Luke wrote down, none of them believed it. It's an idle tale. But that's not the end of the story, friends. All of those same disciples took that realization, that truth, and proclaimed it day in and day out until their life was snuffed out. Because they came to understand that that was no idle tale. That was, in fact, the truth. The truth is, Jesus, before the world was ever spoken into existence, before the earth was rotating around the sun, before any of this, God determined He was going to send His Son Jesus to save His people from their sin, which required a perfect, pure life. Immaculate, perfect obedience. It required Him being crucified, spilling His blood in their place. It required the shedding of His blood. It required then the resurrection demonstrating the power and finished accomplishment of Jesus. It required all of this. So take, take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. Just turning to the right a few books. You're going through John, Acts, Romans, and then you'll find 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This Gospel message the disciples gave their lives for. You can see it captured very succinctly in verses 3 and 4. A very simple message that speaks forth the Gospel or the good news. The good news. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Can, can you see the simplicity here? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Died for our sins. Buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the written record. The record declares... And God authenticates it again and again. Look at verses 5 and following. It says that He appeared to Cephas. That's another name for Peter. And then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. Just think about this. Not only do we have this record, it's a written record, we also have this eyewitness and then testifying. Testifying of the eyewitness. Jesus' resurrection attested by His closest followers and then 500 people 
He says, many of which are still alive. Go, go and ask them. Go and ask them. You want, you want testimony to the fact that Jesus rose? Go talk to these people. They saw Him alive from the dead. All of the disciples except for Judas went on to proclaim this resurrection and eventually experienced persecution and death related to their preaching about the resurrected Jesus. And that preaching continues around the world 2,000 years later. You can name all the cities and towns throughout the United States. Provinces in Canada. Different regions through Central America. South America. Asia. Europe. South uh, you've got Africa, you've got Australia, all these different places. There, there's testimony to gospel preaching all around the world. 2,000 years later, Jesus risen from the dead. That preaching continues. It's great to think about the resurrection. And this morning, we want to talk about some of the accomplishments that have resulted from Jesus doing it. Jesus has done it. He's completed the work. He's been raised from the dead. What does it all mean? What does it do? It's great. It's a great, it's a great story. It's great to talk about. But what does it do? We're going to talk about four accomplishments that result from the resurrection of Jesus. Most of them will be brief. First, Jesus' true identity has been revealed. Who He really is has been revealed. When Jesus, this man, Jewish man, ordinary, carpenter, from Nazareth. Not high on the economic scene. People were blown away by his teaching. He, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't be able to talk like this. He's just an ordinary person. The resurrection takes Jesus from ordinary To extraordinary. And Romans 1.4 says it like this. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus meaning Savior. Christ meaning Messiah. Lord meaning Master. Because Jesus rose from the dead, He's not just an ordinary Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. He's so much more. He's declared in power to be the Son of God. The second person of the eternal triune God. He's he's so much more than meets the eye. Yes, they saw Him uh, walk on water some. They saw Him uh, feed the 5,000 or 
15, 20,000 when you extrapolate all the different numbers. They saw him give sight to the blind and, and hearing to the deaf and speech to the mute. They saw him raise people who couldn't walk, and, uh, people from the dead. So many signs to point to the fact that he was anything but ordinary, but nothing testifies to his sonship like the resurrection from the dead. Jesus' true identity has been revealed by the resurrection. Secondly, Jesus defeated sin and death through the resurrection. Jesus defeated sin and death. Take a look at verses 12 through 20 of the same passage here, and you're in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 12 and following. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You see sin and death here? Everyone's clear? If Christ isn't raised, sin remains. Sin wins. Sin destroys. And Utility. Death reigns. Perishing reigns. Death resides. Sin and death win if Christ is not raised. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, or in other versions, most miserable. If, if Christ is not raised, we only have hope for now, then we are miserable indeed. Verse 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know, Romans tells us that Jesus condemned sin in His flesh. Jesus in His flesh said, sin, you're done. Condemned it. You are condemned. Sin destroyed by Jesus' flesh. And in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus removes and destroys the power of death that lords over every person. What's going to happen when I die? What will be next? I don't know. Where will I spend eternity? What happens to my body? What happens to my soul? Jesus destroys the victory of death. Jesus' resurrection victoriously lords over sin and death. The reason why is because Jesus condemned sin on the cross and Jesus rose victoriously over death. Because He lives, all who trust Him will live 
because He lives, all who trust Him will live. He is the first fruits, meaning there is more to come. I want to share something with you. A, a few, a couple months ago, Pastor Jeff was referring to Chad Bird, who lost his son. He shared some accountings of that difficulty. Uh, this tweet came out this morning, and it really fits here. Listen to these words of this man who lost his son last year, as well as his father. For now, buried in the earth in Annapolis, Maryland, uniformed as a midshipman in the United States Naval Academy, the body of my young son, Luke Gabriel Bird, lays at rest. For now, having finished the race and kept the faith, my elderly father, Carson Wayne Bird, departed this life and his earthly remains are buried in the cemetery in Shamrock, Texas, for now. And for now I weep and grieve and often stare into the distance at nothing, remembering happier days before two swords pierced my soul this last year. But now, today, I take a deep breath, fill my lungs and roar in defiance at death. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord, for Christ is risen. For now we weep, but not forever. For now we agonize, but not forever. For now we visit cemeteries, but not forever. Because now, and always, the lungs of Jesus that stopped breathing the heart of Jesus that stopped beating, the limbs of Jesus that grew cold and gray were flooded with warmth, pulse, and breath. His body twitched, his eyelids shot open. He inhaled the air, a smile formed on his face, and he rose. He rose, he stood, he was and is alive again. For now, now and always and evermore, Christ is alive, bodily resurrected, victorious over death. For Luke, for Carson, for me, and you, and all who are found in Jesus. For now, cemeteries are allowed temporarily to house the bodies of our loved ones. But this is not their final resting place. Far from it. One day... O Lord, make it soon. The trumpet shall sound. Gravestones will pop like champagne corks. And the glorified bodies of believers will spring from the earth. A vast army will stand arrayed in white with faces uplifted to shout hallelujah to their returning King of Kings. For now, we wait. We decorate our tears with smiles. Season our grief with hope and anchor our souls in the resurrected flesh of the God who became man, who became dead, who became fully alive again for you. A blessed Easter to all of you who, like me, mock death and applaud life as limping though we are as we dance this day.
to the new song of the victorious resurrection. I know it was long. We're living in the for now. But Jesus. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enslaved. Sin and death ruled and reigned, hawking over us. It, the predator, we the prey. But Jesus. Jesus lived. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus rose to give us victory over sin, victory over death. They hold us prey no longer because of Jesus and his resurrection. Jesus in his resurrection provides righteousness. In the book of Romans, and Brian made reference to this earlier, take a look at Romans chapter 4. Jesus provides righteousness. The account here is talking about how faith is the result, faith results in justification. Faith in Jesus results in justification. That's the context. It utilizes Abraham as an illustration. That Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. That's the illustration. And then what he does with that is he says, but that's not the end of that discussion. It's not like, okay, Abraham believed God and was accounted him to righteous, for righteousness and that's the end of the story. He's the father of faith. In other words, he exemplifies what it is like to trust God for life. Verse 20, Romans 4.20 no unbelief in Abraham made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I want to ask you a couple of questions to think through this passage because we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus and what the results are. And in this part of our discussion, we're talking about the results of Jesus' resurrection being that He gives, provides righteousness. In verse 23, uh, verse 24, excuse me, what is the promise, or excuse me, who is the promise for? Who is the promise for in verse 24? I'll read it, ready? It says, it will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Who is the promise for? Those who believe, right? Belief, believing, trusting. It's for those who believe. What is the result in verse 25? What's the result of this resurrection in verse 25? Verse 25 says, Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification? What is the result of the resurrection? Justification. Now, okay, well, what does justification mean? Simple definition. Ready? To declare righteous. To declare righteous. We were raised, excuse me, Jesus was raised 
to dispense or declare people righteous. A more formal definition is to change the records of a person from sinner to saint. Jesus' resurrection provides a remedy to all of my sinful actions and a remedy to all of yours. In place of my sin, God replaces it with righteousness. Think about yourself. Think about your record. Are you perfect? Do you always do the right thing? Your thoughts, your words, your deeds, the way you process through grief or difficulty, the way you process through someone's offense toward you when you're cheated. Yet because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, all who come to Him receive this perfect record of righteousness. Your record canceled. What Colossians 2 speaks about. question is, have you called upon Him? Have you asked God for His salvation? Those who come who believe, who trust in Jesus. They come to God for salvation through Jesus. He removes our sin and He grants us righteousness. He's done everything necessary. The work is done. Jesus has done it. And the completion of Jesus' work declares Him to be the Son of God with power. It shows us His real identity. The fact that He's done it reveals to us that He's defeated sin and death. And the fact that He's been raised shows that He provides righteousness. There's one more item that I want for us to talk about for a few minutes. The resurrection proves and results in the fact that Jesus defends us. Who's the us? Those that have trusted Him. Do you know Him? Has He provided you with righteousness? Has He taken away your sin? Washed it? Cleansed it? Removed it as far as the east is from the west? And replaced that sin record with a record of righteousness? Has that, is that true of you? Then He defends you. He defends me. This is such good news. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 for a moment. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. God's Word says in verse 14 of Hebrews 4, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Stop right there for a second. Passed through the heavens. There's an implication here of not only the resurrection, but then some 40 days later, the ascension of Christ. So He's been raised from the dead, and now He ascends into heaven as our great high priest is what it says. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, 
yet without sin. Stop right there. So we're talking about the resurrected, ascended Christ as the high priest and son of God. And this high priest, son of God, who's been resurrected and has ascended, is not unable to feel with the struggles that we endure moment by moment, day by day, throughout the course of our lives. He's not unable to be sympathetic and and feel with us in the midst of our weaknesses, even though He never catered to the, the sin that was associated with the temptation. He knows what the temptation feels like. He knows what you endure. And instead of saying, I did it, why can't you do it? Instead, that's not the spirit He has. He's sympathetic toward us feeling toward us in the midst of our struggle. And there's a response that's called for in verse 16 because of the welcome that we have through our high priest. Listen to verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. We'll stop right there. With boldness, with confidence, with freedom of speech, move toward the throne of grace. When we're exposed and our sin is ever before us, lurking, hanging over our head, in front of our faces every day, the tendency is to run away from the throne of grace. To run and hide. I don't want Him to know And yet he knows. And he says, with boldness, with confidence, with freedom of speech, draw near to the throne of grace. And what will happen? Verse verse 16 at the end of the verse, that we may receive mercy. There's complete forgiveness. And find grace to help in time of need. So not only covering Forgiveness, cleansing, the removal of that sin, debt, and guilt. But in place of it, God provides His abundant grace to help us in the midst of that weakness. He's so good. The resurrection provides for you and for me a every moment defender, a high priest who takes our case and deals with it the way that John refers to this high priestly ministry is as an advocate. Listen to these words. They'll be on the screens to my left and right. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a helper with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin. That is the, the dealing with the, the, the consequence and the wrath that is associated with our sins. He deals with it. He removes that wrath. He's settled that wrath forever. Jesus is the, the advocate that we have before the Father. He's provided cleansing. He's provided defense at this moment. Do you know that at this moment, Jesus is praying for us. 
In Hebrews 7, it says that He ever lives to make intercession for us. He always lives to make intercession for us. Here you are, walking around, doing your thing on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever the day is, you're dealing with whatever's in front of your face, and it, and it sometimes can feel choking and frustrating. You feel guilty and, and lowly and, and alone in it, in bondage. If you know Jesus, He simply says, come. Draw near. Draw near with honesty. Draw near with truth. Let me know. I know already. What will you find when you approach the throne of grace that way? Mercy cleansing, and grace provision. Every single time. Jesus has accomplished the work that He came to do. There's nothing left to be done. Now He applies this accomplishment to those who believe. He gives righteousness, which results in eternal life. Eternal life with Him. Eternal life with the Father. Eternal life with the saints of all the ages. Have you received this? Have you received this life He offers? Come. Come to Him. He defends us. He provides mercy and grace. Do you regularly experience forgiveness and help from God? It's available this second and the next and the next. There's an ongoing way in which our Savior, Jesus, cares for us. And it's based upon His resurrection. He he prays for us. He defends us. He cares for us. Every day, we benefit from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every day. Yeah, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter, it's marked in our calendar. But every time we come together, we're talking about the provision of life and forgiveness and grace, every time we're together, and it all comes down to this. Jesus said, it is finished. And the Father said, amen, by raising him from the dead. My job this morning and every day is to point you to him and to say, Believe Him. Trust Him. Rest in Him. Receive from Him. My job is to simply say, you see how God describes Himself? You see how God describes Jesus? You see His character, His nature, His heart for you, His, what He wants to give to you and provide for you? You see it? Receive from Him. Receive from Him. He is risen. And His resurrection changes everything. In just a moment, we're going to sing these words. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, He lives! Christ, He lives! And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with Him there 
we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed, and we shall feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. We're going to sing this in just a moment. Let's pray. Our Father, You are so good. Your kindness astonishes us. Your provision of Jesus and life, forgiveness and righteousness amazes us. And the ongoing care that You demonstrate for our desperate needs, it's just so good. Thank You. We ask that You'd help us to be refreshed, to stand, to believe, to embrace, and to come to You with truth, knowing who You are. I pray, Father, for anyone among us that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know this joy and freedom and cleansing and confidence, I pray that You would help them to see that Jesus offers them life, real life, now and forever. I pray that You might grant that to them. You might open their eyes to believe. In Jesus' name, Amen.